In the Gospels, the number one image that uh, Jesus uses for the kingdom of God is wedding, wedding imagery. You think of the eternal wedding banquet or today's parable of the uh, virgins who uh, go out to meet the bridegroom and uh, various others. We had one a few weeks ago about the, the wedding banquet. And there's a reason for that, and, and maybe we miss it because so often we approach uh, the scriptures perhaps with what we know and not necessarily uh, the culture of the time. And it does help to know a little bit about the culture. Uh, so unfortunately, I'm going to teach a little bit about marriage in the time of Jesus, how they celebrated it. Uh, it would begin with the betrothal. Usually the, the groom would go to the father of the bride and they would arrange uh, a dowry or arrange some money exchange or, or whatever. And the bride would give her approval usually. Um, it's just customary and it wasn't mandatory. But then the, they would be married technically, legally at that moment uh, through... Uh, a number of things. So they would be betrothed often, we hear that, and especially as we begin to prepare for the Christmas season, we hear that word more, while they were betrothed but not yet married, uh, which is an odd translation, but while they were betrothed, legally married but not yet married, establishing a household would be probably the better way of understanding that. The bridegroom would go off, he would be build a house or prepare a house uh, for himself and his uh, soon-to-be uh, wife and God-willing children. He would establish himself in a job, a career, whether it's uh, uh, brick building or brick lane or, or uh, carpentry or farming or whatever it is. And after all was established, sometimes six months or a year later, he would go back to the house of the father or the bride and he would be welcomed there by the virgins of the town or the area, who would go out with lighted lamp and they would begin the celebration. And that celebration sometimes would last up to seven days. <clears throat> Can you imagine seven days of wedding festivities? Fathers, you're probably, fathers of girls, you're probably thinking, how much did that cost? But it would be a communal celebration. And after that, uh, those celebrations would be done, the bride would go home with the bridegroom into their new home. I think there's a reason Jesus uses the wedding imagery because we are in that betrothed period as the church. Jesus has already won us from his father and, and uh, he's uh, purchased us with his blood. But we are waiting for his return and the fact that he is going to return is very clear. We hear that even today in the, in the second reading, St. Paul telling the community, do not be afraid. Those that have died will have some share in the resurrection of Christ. In fact, when Christ comes, they will be raised first, and then we, with them. Christ is going to return. But back to this parable that we have today. We have these virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom. They know he's going to be coming and they are somewhat prepared. And they hear the cry, and they have to get up and prepare their lamps. Now, we're not talking hurricane lamps, we're talking little oil lamps. Uh, oil lamps don't give a whole lot of light. In fact, there's the, the verse from Psalm 119, your word is a light unto me, my feet, 
or a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's just one step, two steps. You had to have a number of, of lamps in order to be able to see somewhat clearly. So the more lamps, the better it would be. And it would burn olive oil, usually was, is what they, they would burn. And as you can imagine, olive oil leaves a lot of carbon on the wick when you burn it. And so they would have to trim that crud off, all that carbon off, in order to be able to light their lamp in the first place. The oil lamp would not hold a whole lot of oil, but these would have known about how much, how far they could go and come back with appropriate light. Now we hear about the five wise ones. They brought extra oil with them, not knowing how long it's going to be. They probably fell asleep with their oil lamps burning. And as they're preparing their, their lamps, they begin to understand that they prepared enough. And then there's the foolish ones, the, the ones who uh, the, uh, the Greek word is moron. We get the root, it's a root word for moron. And it means the ones who were not thinking, the ones who shut their minds is literally what it, they think that, that root means. The ones who shut their minds who were not thinking ahead, were not prepared. They didn't think that the, the bridegroom was going to be delayed, so they only prepared enough oil for themselves at that moment without thinking ahead. And they turned to the wise ones and say, give us some of your oil. Well, we might think it's kind of cruel that they didn't share. But the wise ones probably did the math. They probably said to themselves, we know exactly how much oil we're going to need. If our lamp should go out, we're going to need this amount of oil to be able to go out to the bridegroom and to bring him back in safely, especially at midnight. Can you imagine if they would have given half their oil to the unwise ones, they would have got out there and their lamps would have burned out. It's better to walk with half the light all the way than to walk half the way with no light. No, there may not be enough for us. That seems rather cruel. That seems rather shallow. It seems rather mean. But when we look at it on that surface of it's better to walk with half the light, we begin to understand what it means for us. We cannot save, and I think this is what Jesus is getting to, we cannot save those that are not prepared. We are responsible for preparing ourselves, and there's, it's been in my thoughts the last year and a half for various reasons, but there is a concept in psychology called boundaries, and when we have proper boundaries, we begin to live in proper relationship with others. These wise virgins understood we're not responsible for providing oil for everyone, rather for, just for ourselves. And again, that seems rather cruel, but when you begin to understand that they understood that they're not responsible for everyone else's mistakes, just their own, there's a freedom there. And for us, that is equally true. We know that the bridegroom is coming. We know that Jesus is coming. 
And we are, our first task is to prepare ourselves to, to live in such a way that we are prepared. Should he come? We know he's going to come eventually, but should he come, we're ready. Or we're ready at least on short notice. After all, all of them had to get up and trim their lamps. They all fell asleep. But are we ready? And then hopefully we have enough that we've prepared enough that we can help those that weren't ready. But again, we're not responsible in the end for their salvation. St. Thomas More told, told his children this right before his execution by Henry VIII. He reminded them that they cannot pin their salvation to him, that they were responsible for their own salvation. That perhaps is freeing for those who are parents who have children that are not practicing the faith or that seem to be wandering. Again, to do what you can do to practice the faith as well as you can, to keep calling them back, but to realize that their decision is their decision. Again, not in cruelty, but rather out of freedom. Or perhaps in this day and age with so much divided, we see our country almost split in two, it seems, politically speaking. I should back up and say that Jesus is not making a statement that half are wise and half are foolish. He's not that kind of statement. I think he wants us to, to consider, though, halfway. But we see a, a nation that is divided, and, and so many just are, are bought in in one political system or, or another without reflection. For Catholics, we know that really neither political party captures who we are as Catholics. And yet, we need to participate as fully as we can to be prepared, to always be pointing towards Jesus Christ, to know that, as uh, Jesus tells us in St. Matthew's Gospel, that we are the light of the world. We are called not only to be the wise virgins, but we are called to be the light itself, shining with the light of Jesus Christ. We are called to be light to this world that seems so dark. We are called to be prepared, to keep pointing to Jesus Christ. The church continues to use the language of propose. The church does not impose the faith. You perhaps know as well as I do, there there are stories of of Christian uh, warriors who went into battle against non-Christians and literally uh, forced them into a river and baptized them with the edge of the sword, and if they rejected the baptism, they used the sword in the normal manner. That's not what the church envisions for conversion. We know this. The, the church proposes the faith. It does not impose. So we cannot force somebody to take the oil we have. All we can do is shine with the light that oil provides. And hopefully they find their way to the light. When these foolish ones get to the door, they find it locked. We thank God that the door is not yet locked. That the foolish ones perhaps, and again, not making a statement politically, but just in general, the foolish ones will perhaps find what they need, maybe because we've supplied it, in order to come in to come in from the dark, to come in from the cold. 
That's a little freaky <laughs> as the lights go out. But come in from the dark, come in from the cold, and find salvation. Again, they're going to find it because we've provided the light that Jesus Christ has given us.